If chocolate is your weakness, real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate can be your strength. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. The FDA recently issued a qualified health claim saying that high flavanol cocoa powder may help prevent cardiovascular disease. It may even be a helpful tool in managing cognitive decline. Flavanol Naturals dark chocolate bars and cocoa powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate with great flavor and minimal sugar. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. For more information and to order, just go to flavanaturals.com. There you'll find the extensive research behind cocoa flavanol's benefits and great recipes too. That's flavanaturals.com. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine, America's foremost program on health, medicine, and nutrition, featuring the latest on both conventional and alternative therapies. Now, here's Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Welcome to Intelligent Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's a weekly program about, well, it's about your health. It's about all aspects of your health, uh, from a lifestyle to the medications you take and the high-tech interventions that you sometimes have to contemplate. 877-726-8255, our number. And we've got uh, lots of stuff to cover today. Plus, when you call 877-726-8255, in addition to having access to this program while we're on the air, anytime, 24-7, 365, you can record a question. And we got some great recorded questions that we can tackle during today's show. 877-726-8255. Among the subjects we're going to tackle today, we're going to talk about uh, lead exposure. We're going to be talking about uh, another environmental hazard, uh, forever chemicals, so-called PFAS chemicals. We'll talk about uh, the effects of a certain nutrient on long COVID. Interesting study looking at that. Many more issues we're going to tackle on today's program, 877-726-8255. The issue that I want to point to in the beginning of today's program is something that, well, you might consider this sort of a light consideration when it comes to overall health. You know, we talk about uh, the benefits of exercise. We talk about the benefits of sleep. We talk about the importance of diet, of course, uh, we even talk about stress. We talk about nutritional supplements. But something that is often overlooked when you go to the doctor's office, ask yourself this question. When was the last time a doctor asked you about your hydration? How much fluid you take in on a daily basis? And that, according to a recent study that I'll share with you, and there's more and more studies around this issue, turns out to be a big problem, turns out to be a big health risk, and is worth evaluating when you have a medical encounter. The article is entitled, Underhydration is Associated with, wait for it, Obesity, Chronic Disease, and Death Within Three to Six Years. Yeah, death within three to six years ain't pretty, 
in the U.S. population age 51 to 70. And it starts out by saying that a big national survey, the NHANES study, which evaluates the health habits and the nutrition habits of Americans, looking at millions of Americans, indicates that over 65% of adults age 51 to 70 in the U.S. do not meet hydration criteria. What are those criteria? Well, you can use a blood test showing either excessively high or excessively low sodium. It can go either way. Also, just evaluating urine volume. How much urine do you produce? Because if you're dehydrated, you're not going to produce a lot of urine. Also, something called urine osmolality, which evaluates the concentration of your urine. Because if you don't have enough water in your system, your urine will be ultra-concentrated. One of the ways to know that is to look in the toilet bowl and ascertain the color of the urine. And if the urine is very dark yellow or amber, well, maybe, just maybe, you're not consuming enough in the way of fluid. That's urine osmolality. An exception might be if you've just taken a whole bunch of B vitamins. Vitamin B2 or riboflavin in particular tends to color the urine magic marker yellow. But if your urine is dark, appearing concentrated, well, maybe you're just not consuming enough fluid. Well, what they did in the study, they took a sample of people in the NHANES study. The sample was of 1,200 individuals aged 51 to 70. And what they found was after statistical evaluation, underhydration was significantly associated with increased prevalence of obesity, high waist circumference, insulin resistance, diabetes, low HDL, hypertension, and metabolic syndrome. Over three to six years of follow-up, 33 chronic disease deaths occurred in the sample. Now, you may say, well, that's not a lot of deaths, but it's a small sample. It's just 1,200 people. If you extrapolate to the population of the United States over three to six years, that would represent an estimated 1,084,144 deaths across the United States. They say alongside chronic health conditions, underhydration was a risk factor for an estimated 863,305 deaths. So, by contrast, zero chronic disease deaths were reserved for people who met the hydration criteria, but also did not have a chronic condition. Because, yeah, if you've got a chronic condition, no matter what your hydration status is, well, you have a higher risk of dying. So, whoa, this is very, very concerning and suggests that a lot of people aren't getting enough fluid the question is, so how much fluid does the average healthy adult living in a temperate climate need? No, we're not talking about people who live in the Sahara or even people who mm, live in Phoenix, Arizona, because the vast majority of people are staying inside in air conditioning. 
the U.S. National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine determined that an adequate daily fluid intake is 15 and a half cups of fluids a day for men and about 11 and a half cups of fluids a day for women. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to religiously drink 15 and a half cups if you're a man or 11 and a half cups if you're a woman because these recommendations cover fluids from water, other beverages, and food. About 20% of daily fluid intake it usually comes from food, and the rest comes from beverages. So certain foods deliver a lot of hydration, particularly high-fiber foods, because fibers lock in water. And, for example, chia seeds, which absorb a lot of water, are actually a great source of hydration, even though they're a solid food. When they're soaked in water, uh, or maybe if they're added to your oatmeal, put on uh, vegetables, uh, they actually lock in a lot of water. Also, fruit, pretty decent source of hydration, especially things like watermelon, very succulent fruits, are an excellent source of additional hydration. So what about the advice to drink eight glasses a day? Well, it, results may vary. Because, yeah, it might be a reasonable goal, uh, but it turns out that most healthy people without an underlying medical condition or maybe those people not taking a diuretic, which actually causes you to lose water, could stay hydrated merely by drinking water and other fluids whenever they feel thirsty. Coffee and tea count. Uh, contrary to what is sometimes said about coffee, coffee is... Coffee is a little bit of a diuretic, but what it tends to do is it tends to irritate the bladder and makes you pee more, but it doesn't necessarily dehydrate you, according to the most recent studies that I've looked at. Um, so I drink a lot of decaf, and if I'm about to take a long car trip, maybe I'll cut back on the decaf. One thing that has to be said is that this rule about hydration well, for a lot of people, especially older people, they tend to cut back on hydration because their bladder capacity decreases. Men have prostate problems. One of the best ways to manage nighttime awakening due to the need to urinate, make a bathroom trip, is to limit your fluid intake at night. Well, okay, but that might limit your overall fluid intake. So there's a risk-benefit equation to limiting the amount of fluids you consume Nightly, uh, you know, these, these recommendations also depend on your exercise level. If you're out exerting yourself, losing a lot of fluid, sweating, you may have an increased fluid requirement. It depends also on temperature, time of the year. Um, there's also, uh, the problem that in older individuals, their thirst signals may be blunted. So, yeah, they say, well, yeah, just drink, you know, when you're thirsty. That's enough. Well, maybe, maybe not, especially with people taking certain medications that may blunt their sense of, uh, their sense of thirst. Uh, cultural things have something to do with this because people of certain ethnicities, national backgrounds, they don't trust the water, even though the water supply in most American cities is pretty good, although in some areas is full of chemicals potentially full of lead. 
And so people are preferentially drinking sugar-sweetened beverages instead of water, or maybe they're drinking alcohol. Alcohol is certainly something that dehydrates you. Alcohol, yeah, free of bacteria, but not a great source of hydration. Uh, for instance, uh, Hispanics have been found to have a distrust of municipal water and may uh, increase their intake of other beverages, some less good, some laced with sugar. And then there are the folks who have a preference for energy drinks or sports drinks, often packing a lot of calories, unnecessary intake of artificial colors and other harmful ingredients. So when it comes to health, hydration is a very, very important factor that should take its place alongside sleep, good diet, exercise, uh, stress reduction, and all these things that put together a healthy lifestyle that can guarantee health and longevity. 877-726-8255, our number. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine. Wakanaga of America, makers of Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract, knows that most of us are having to stretch every dollar a little further these days. But that doesn't mean you should have to choose between saving money and your family's health. It's important, as well as cost-effective, to choose safe and multifunctional nutritional supplements. Kyolic Aged Garlic Extract has been a superior cardiovascular supplement for over 50 years, backed by over 900 published scientific papers. Aged garlic extract has been shown to provide many cardiovascular benefits, including lowering blood pressure and improving arterial stiffness, and strong immune support. Kyolic Formula 103 includes vitamin C, mushrooms, and astragalus for immune and heart health, and Kyolic Formula 152 with omega-3s and vitamins D3, K2, E, and B6 for heart, bone, and immune health. Two excellent options that provide multiple health benefits for your family's health. Look for Kyolic at your local natural health store and online. At Essential Formulas, we provide the immune essentials for your family's health this winter. Dr. O'Hara's Probiotics and Reg Active. Dr. O'Hara's Probiotics is recognized as a worldwide leader in probiotic digestive health. Since 70% of your immune cells reside in your gut, Dr. O'Hara's probiotics have an impressive effect on immune health, too. Dr. O'Hara's probiotics contain over 500 postbiotic metabolites shown to help support immune function. Certified vegetarian, free of gluten, dairy, and GMOs, a powerful immune option. RegActive formulas help boost levels of glutathione, the body's most essential antioxidant, which decreases as we age. Maintaining glutathione levels is key in overall health protection. Be proactive about your immune health. Look for Dr. O'Hara's probiotics and RegActive at natural health retailers and online today. Welcome back to Intelligent Medicine. Dr. Ronald Hoffman here. Our number eight seven 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 two six eight two five five. You can come directly into the doctor's office and pose a question or share a comment. That number available to you twenty four seven three sixty five. So we have some recorded questions. So let's hit it. I am planning to take mega doses of vitamin D for Epstein Barr diagnosis. It would be fifty fifty thousand IU four days. And the balance of the month is 10,000 IU. Will you guide me on that? I feel and I think I'm accurate that that is a necessary constructive process. 
for what I got. Thank you. Okay. Well, I, I disagree. For, you know, first of all, uh, the diagnosis of Epstein-Barr virus uh, is so 1990s. Uh, it was a popular diagnosis when we really didn't understand chronic fatigue syndrome and often was the go-to diagnosis when we couldn't figure out why a person was feeling lousy. And so uh, nine out of 10 cases, when you test people for the presence of Epstein-Barr virus, you could make a case that they have elevated titers to Epstein-Barr virus. There's no precision to testing for Epstein-Barr. It's not like HIV testing, where either you have it or you don't have it. It's a lot of people have had exposure to Epstein-Barr virus. They may have had mononucleosis. They may have been very sick or unbeknownst to them, they may have been exposed to the virus. And it's one of those viruses that persists in the system and kicks off antibodies. So the antibody test for Epstein-Barr is pretty darn near worthless. doesn't tell you whether you have an active infection or if that's what's causing your fatigue. And there's so many other reasons why people are fatigued. And sometimes fatigue is a multifaceted thing. So to say, oh, it's Epstein-Barr virus is very reductive. So then uh, I think mm, lazy practitioners or maybe practitioners who are using outmoded methods will say, oh, you've got Epstein-Barr virus. Okay, we've got an answer for you. Okay, well, how do we get rid of Epstein-Barr virus? That's challenging because there are no specific antivirals that we can use that perfectly knock out Epstein-Barr virus. So yes, we can provide nutritional support with things like vitamin D. But taking 50,000 international units of vitamin D four days a week and then 10,000 the rest of the time, uh, that could hike your vitamin D levels to a toxic place. And so you have to very carefully monitor vitamin D levels when you do that. Uh, if you think it's necessary, I don't think it's going to make a difference. Yes, vitamin D is important for supporting immunity, but we can do uh, better with other uh, targeted nutrients. We can use things like AHCC, brand name Empower. Uh, we can use higher levels of zinc. We can use astragalus. We can use certain uh, herbal things that may help to support immunity and have antiviral effects. But uh, that is not a sound strategy. So I'm really not liking what I'm hearing. 877-726-8255, our number. When we return, we'll tackle uh, lead exposure. Lead exposure may be worse than we think, may account for more problems than was previously appreciated. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is Intelligent Medicine. We wouldn't go a day without washing our hands, brushing our teeth, and washing our nose. Well, wait, we wash our nose? Yes, the number one place where bacteria, viruses, and pollen enter your body is through the nose. So the average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for bacteria, viruses, and irritants to get into your nose and make you sick. For an extra layer of protection, wash your nose with Clear. That is Clear, X-L-E-A-R. Clear's drug-free nasal spray features xylitol, an ingredient proven to block adhesion of many nasty bacteria and viruses, and effectively clean, not just rinse like a saline, but wash your nose. Clear nasal spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. Read the research studies for yourself at clear.com. 
That's xlear.com. Protect yourself from the pathogens and junk you breathe. Pick up a bottle for you and your family today. Welcome back to Intelligent Medicine. Dr. Ronald Hoffman here, 877-726-8255, our number. It's been estimated that uh, since uh, about the 1940s, we've introduced about 50,000 novel industrial chemicals into our environment. And that's a big problem, but a very ancient problem, as old as ancient Rome is lead exposure. The Romans used to deliberately flavor their wine with lead. They used lead pipes in their elaborate baths and plumbing systems. And it was thought that one of the reasons for the decline of the Roman Empire is that people just went plum crazy. That's a deliberate pun because plum is uh, from the Latin for lead. And there's a new study out that says that lead exposure might cause more deaths and IQ loss than expected. It's from The Lancet, which is one of the world's leading medical journals. Exposure to lead through sources such as contaminated food, soil, and paint may have contributed to 5.5 million adult cardiovascular disease deaths worldwide and 765 million lost IQ points among children younger than five in a single year, in the last year recorded, which is 2019, according to a new analysis of countries' blood level, blood lead level estimates. Now, this is a problem that uh, has occurred less in the United States since they banned leaded gasoline in the 1960s, and now we have more stringent requirements about leaded paint. Uh, lead uh, is also present in old plumbing. Gradually, we're replacing some of that old plumbing, but uh, it's cropped up, and it cropped up recently uh, in some areas of the country where they had bad water. And this is not uh, something that's vanished from the American scene, but it's a far more prevalent problem in what are called LMICs, low and middle income countries, where the infrastructure is older, the, the environmental rules are less stringent. And so they now say, we knew this was a problem. But the new study suggests that estimated IQ loss and deaths from cardiovascular disease were about 80% higher uh, for IQ loss and six times greater from cardiovascular disease than earlier approximations. So the results, they say, are suggest that the magnitude of environmental risk from lead exposure is similar to that of fine particulate air pollution, and exceeds the risk associated with unsafe household drinking water, sanitation, and hand washing, which are, you know, important considerations for overall health. So, wow, wow, that is kind of mind-blowing. Um, what they say in the discussion in the article in The Lancet is that reducing environmental lead exposure has almost immediate benefits for young children in terms of preventing cognitive impairment. It literally robs you of IQ points. 
Reducing exposure also has long-term cardiovascular disease benefits in adulthood for children of all ages. They admit that it remains unknown to what extent reducing exposure can also benefit today's adults who've already sustained previous lead exposure, but they admit that some relevant studies have shown that EDTA chelation therapy very effectively removes lead from the body and reduces the risk of adverse cardiovascular events over a five-year follow-up period in patients with previous heart attacks. That is referencing a study that I actually co-authored uh, quite a few years back about the benefits of chelation therapy for people who have had previous heart attacks. Chelation therapy involves an IV infusion of something called EDTA, which pulls lead out of the body. And so what they're saying is that maybe, just maybe, when we assess people, especially people with cardiovascular risk, and when we screen children, uh, we ought to routinely screen for lead. We need to continue to do that. And that we should consider lead exposure, among other things, like high cholesterol, high homocysteine, high LP little a, high C-reactive protein, insulin resistance, uh, the multiplicity of risk factors for cardiovascular disease, uh, that we should include lead because it is a significant risk factor for cardiovascular disease, certainly increases high blood pressure, that is known, but for what they say are reasons unknown, the presence of lead in the body increases the risk for heart attack and stroke. And according to this study, we could prevent uh, hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of deaths uh, if we address the lead problem. Let's say we do find in a child a relatively high level of lead. Well, maybe, just maybe, we ought to evaluate their house for potential sources of lead, or maybe look at the quality of the drinking water in their community as a potential source of lead exposure, because the longer this child is exposed to lead, uh, the worse the consequences for their learning, and ultimately the worse the consequences for cardiovascular risk. And that might also explain part of the disparity that occurs in the United States. People from poor neighborhoods where often there's old infrastructure, lead pipes, lead paint, uh, that they are more prone to cardiovascular disease. Well, it has to do with diet. It has to do perhaps with stress. It has to do with perhaps uh, lack of access to uh, aggressive medical treatment. Now, part of the story, but also lead might be part of the equation. 877-726-8255, our number. And that number is available for recorded calls, so let's take one of those. Hi, doctor. What do you think is the real cause of MS? Okay, what do I think is the real cause of MS? Well, if I really knew the precise reason for MS, I probably would be in line for a Nobel Prize. But uh, it is now thought, you know, and I follow the research on this, that MS 
may be the result of a virus. And it actually, you know, previously we had a call about the Epstein-Barr virus. A lot of people have been exposed to the Epstein-Barr virus. In fact, it's a rarity to find a person who hasn't been exposed to Epstein-Barr. It's virtually, you know, 98% of the population. But it is thought that for some people, when the virus uh, enters the body, that due to an aberrant immune response to the virus, uh, that it triggers an autoimmune attack on the nerves. So there is, there may be an association with the virus. There may be other causes. There may be environmental causes such as chemical exposure. Uh, there may be dietary factors such as lack of essential fatty acids or lack of other important nutrients. There's actually an association between low vitamin D and multiple sclerosis. And that's why it's advocated that people who have MS uh, take higher doses of vitamin D to slow the progression of the disease. So, uh, there are probably a multiplicity of reasons. There may be even microbiome effects that the, uh, precise blend of bacteria in the intestinal tract and their diversity, uh, may set people up for, uh, an overactive immune response that targets the myelin that surrounds the nerves and thus increases the risk for, uh, uh, multiple sclerosis. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's going to end up that there are many pathways to multiple sclerosis that, uh, if you look at all the different pathways, uh, that maybe we can get a handle on that disease. Currently, the medications for MS, well, we're coming up with newer medications to slow its progression, but some of them are very powerful and have side effects. And uh, it may be preferable to look at root causes and address the root causes before we have to employ powerful, potentially destructive drugs to cure it. 877-726-8255, our number. Uh, this is an item that... Um, Something that I thought about during my medical training, I had my medical training uh, in the 1970s, way back when. And that's when I was a young doctor uh, in charge of patients in big hospitals like Bellevue, NYU Hospital, and Manhattan VA Hospital. And sometimes I took care of patients in the intensive care unit. And patients in the intensive care unit uh, are in a precarious balance. Uh, they're often receiving intravenous fluids. They're getting diuretics. Uh, they're electrolytes and certain things in their blood fluctuate literally from hour to hour. And so we were constantly running to the ICU and drawing blood on these patients, being multiple tubes of blood. So, you know, sometimes three, four, five, six tubes of blood. And I noted in taking care of some of these patients in the intensive care unit that they might come in to the intensive care unit. They're always generally a little anemic because they were older and they were ill and a normal blood count might be 40 or greater. And they would come with a blood count of 36. And a couple of days later, their blood count would be 32. And then their blood count would be 29. And pretty soon their blood count would be in the low 20s at the threshold where they might need a blood transfusion to give them back blood. And I thought to myself, we're drawing a lot of blood on these patients. What's going on? We're actually literally exsanguinating them. And that's not good 
for their potential survival because they're now being sustained. We're drawing out the blood to do all these blood tests, which may be necessary, you know, checking their blood sugar, checking their potassium, checking uh, their chloride, checking their sodium. All these things uh, fluctuate rapidly in patients on life support. But maybe, just maybe, we ought to be drawing less blood. So here's a study. Small volume blood collection tubes to reduce transfusions in intensive care. What a concept. You're using like little teeny tiny blood tubes. Because what ends up happening when you do blood analysis, you draw a big tube and you run a bunch of tests, but then you throw away the blood. You don't need all that blood sometimes to determine what's going on with these patients. So they pose the question, does transitioning from standard volume to small volume blood collection tubes for laboratory testing intensive care units reduce red blood cell transfusion? And the answer they came up with is that um, small volume blood collection tubes in the ICU may actually decrease the need for blood transfusions without affecting the quality of laboratory analysis. In other words, you still get the same results. You draw in less blood. But how about that for an innovation? Well, let's see. 45 years later, we're still drawing enormous amounts of blood out of patients in hospital. Uh, is it really necessary for the vampires to come by and draw blood every four hours? leaving patients weak and feeble. 877-726-8255 or number. And this is Intelligent Medicine. You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust. The very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom-targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoffmanStore.com. DearHoffmanStore.com. I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system, which regulates many of our most critical bodily functions. The CBD brand I take and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce a new innovation to their Reserve Collection, a sleep gummy. The new Reserve Collection is a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids. Rich and bold, the Reserve Collection products are for when intense support is needed. Reserve Sleep Gummies build on their unique Reserve Collection formula with effective sleep-focused ingredients to better prepare you for bed each night. Wake up feeling refreshed, energized, and ready to take on the day with Reserve Sleep Gummies. All of Plus CBD's products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new Reserve Collection Sleep Gummies. 
Welcome back to Intelligent Medicine. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and uh, when it comes to the Intelligent Medicine podcast, we've had some great guests recently. So uh, if you just listened to the weekend edition of Intelligent Medicine, you're just uh, getting the tip of the iceberg of the Intelligent Medicine phenomenon because we got some great weekly podcasts that uh, you uh, may want to tune into 877-726-8255 we got some more recorded questions let's hear one of those i've been hearing about a medical vegetable pill that's good for people with diabetes with type 2 diabetes i want to know if it's true and is the pill effective for people with type 2 diabetes okay well when it comes to uh vegetable pills uh, I'm not big on them because uh, what they purport to do is deliver all the benefits of the fruits and vegetables that people should be eating, you know, the six to seven servings per day that are advocated. Uh, but what you get is basically dehydrated, poor quality, uh, kind of not shelf uh, suitable uh, fruits and vegetables that have been deprived of most of their benefits. It's hard to take a live fruit or vegetable uh, and apply pressure or cold or heat and shrink it down to a little capsule uh, and preserve the benefits. So, you know, I think I heard enough of these uh, ads for these fruit and veggie pills. Uh, that's one of my pet peeves. Like, I don't want to hear the word veggie ever again. Uh, because the idea is that uh, in some way we're replicating the benefits of an overall healthy diet. And I think, unfortunately, some of these companies prey on especially the elderly uh, or people who are sick with the promise that somehow if they take these pills, uh, it'll incredibly restore their vitality. And then with the pitch that somehow this is going to help diabetes, eh, I don't think so. Um, so... There is, however, uh, a phytonutrient, a plant nutrient that comes from vegetables or comes from plants that is particularly helpful for blood sugar control, and that is berberine. Uh, berberine uh, can mimic some of the effects of something like metformin uh, to optimize blood sugar in people who have metabolic syndrome or diabetes. So when you get a, uh, a berberine capsule, at least you're going to get some standardized material. You know what's in there. It can be standardized to berberine content. And uh, these actually may be helpful for blood sugar control. So that's something that I could get behind. But, you know, I'm not sure what you're talking about with a medical vegetable pill for diabetes. You know, maybe send me a link. And that'll help me out. 877-726-8255. All right. Uh, AstroTurf. Uh, young athletes uh, kind of hate AstroTurf because they're more likely to cause turf toe and result in injuries. Just not natural. But some places like them because the weather's lousy or it takes a lot of water to keep grass growing in stadiums so astroturf is kind of a shortcut uh i see all too many young athletes with testicular cancer young men and the concern is are they playing on fields that 
are laden with forever chemicals. That's what AstroTurf tends to exude. The California Assembly has advanced a bill to ban toxic forever chemicals in artificial turf. And while I kind of push back on some of the excesses of California, I think they're ahead of the curve here. Uh, Assembly Bill 1423 uh, is sponsored by the Environmental Working Group. And I think it's a good idea because PFAS chemicals can be absorbed through the skin uh, and also inhalation of PFAS-laden dust can be a source of exposure. PFAS has been linked to higher risk of harm to the immune system, reduced uh, vaccine efficacy, harm to development and the reproductive system, increasing risk of certain cancers like breast cancer and effects on metabolism such as changes in cholesterol and weight gain. So, yeah, okay, California joins Connecticut, Massachusetts, and Vermont in introducing bills to ban PFAS and turf. And I want to go a step further because I think PFAS should be banned altogether. Join me in a campaign at banfefas.org uh, because uh, that's something that we're encouraging uh, via my involvement with the Alliance for Natural Health. 877-726-8255, our number as we count down to hour two here on Intelligent Medicine.